Church family, it is such a blessing to be here with you again. I missed, uh, genuinely, I missed hearing you sing. And I missed hearing you pray. And uh, what a joy it is to be refreshed by the Holy Spirit through the community of God's people. And if you are watching online, I'm thankful that we can do this, but I want to encourage you to come here and be a part of the community of faith in what God is doing. All right, there's nothing like the gathering of the church. All right, Saturday, five o'clock. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. If you do not have a copy of God's word, kids, let's see those Bibles. Love seeing the pages flipping. Good. Matthew, first book of the New Testament. If you don't have a copy of God's word, put your hand up. Our ushers are coming forward right now, and we want to put one in your lap. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, then keep that Bible that our ushers gave you so that you can continue to study God's Word at home. Well, as we kick this year off with, the theme for our ministry year is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, out of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And that is used as a reminder to affirm our dependency on the Holy Spirit for all things. Why? Because we have to lock this truth in, and it's going to shape everything else we do from this point out this year. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. Let's get it in our hearts and in our minds. The work of God can only be done by the power of God. The work of God can only be done by the power of God. Jesus makes that clear. The Holy Spirit makes that clear. The work of God can only be done by the power of God. And so that's why we are kicking this year off with this series called Discovering Hope, where we are unpacking not only what the work of God is, the mission of God that Jesus has entrusted to his church, but this series is also unpacking how. So the what and the how Jesus commands that work to be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So two weeks ago, we uh, unpacked the first message in this series on the mission of the church, and we saw that Jesus has given his church, every Christian, one mission. Everyone say, one mission. One mission, and that is to make, yes, oh, I missed you, church. I missed you, love you very much. Make disciples. You saw this when you came in tonight. There's a banner there. Here's our mission statement. This is why our mission statement flows right out of the text. It's nothing fancy. It's right out of the words of Christ in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. To glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. In the spirit of the great commandment. Now, I want you to notice that little last part there. That's not just, hey, how do we make this sound really well at the end and tag it on? In the spirit of the great commandment. That is absolutely fundamental. That is absolutely crucial from Matthew chapter 22, 37 to 39. Why is that so important? Why, has, why does that have to be 
foundational for every single ministry opportunity we have in this church to make disciples. Why? Here it is. Because it must be the motive for our heart behind the mission. It has to be our motive for our heart behind the mission. Why? Because it is the command. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. It is the command that faithfulness to every other command depends on. Jesus tells us that right here in the text today. If we are going to be faithful making disciples, we must be upholding the great commandment. And if I could sum up what I just said in a sentence, I would say it this. If you get the great commandment right in your homes, in your marriages and making disciples, in your parenting, in the church, in your job, listen, it's really hard to get everything else wrong. Dissension, division, Sin manifestation only happens because the great commandment is not being followed. You get it right, it's really, really hard, near say impossible, to get anything else wrong. And what's the command? What's the great commandment? It is to love. To love God and to love others by his power at work in us through the Holy Spirit. But there's a problem, I think, I think that highlights the problem. Maybe you're feeling the tension right now. The problem is instead of being motivated by a growing love for God and others, our motivation, what's it, what's it quite often? Motivated by a love for, ready? For self. Say it, self. Quite often our motivations for why we speak how we speak, why we do what we do, why we think what we think, why how we treat people the way we treat people is quite honestly coming from a love for self. A love for our, let's break it down, a love for our status. I'm not gonna share the gospel with you because I'm afraid of what consequences that's gonna have on me in our relationship. So I'm not gonna love you enough to share the gospel. Status. Here's another one. Uh, becomes a love for self through our stuff. Oh, it's going to cost me a lot. I just want my stuff here. It's, we often love our sin greater than the Lord. We love our sin. Why don't we deal with it quickly, promptly, as Jesus calls us to? In your life, in mine, because we just love it more than God. Let's be honest. I don't want to change. I just, it hasn't hurt enough yet. It's coming. It will. I love my preferences. I love my wants. I love my ways. I love my control all more than I love the Lord and others. And what's the result? Welcome to the world we live in. Just look around. You'll see it. What's the result? The only result it can be. Disunity. Inevitable conflict. Selfishness. Pride. Gossip, slander, defensiveness, and ultimately, what does it lead to? Mission drift. Because the Great Commission cannot be sustained without the motivation of the Great Commandment. Mission drift. 
here's the, here's the truth. The great commandment, write this down, the great commandment is the only enduring motivation for the great commission. That's it. That's why Jesus gives it. The great commandment to continue to increasingly love him and love others as yourself is the only enduring motivation to continue to live out the great commission. Because here, here's the reality, loved ones, and we talked this out with Zechariah. Hype won't last. Hype's not going to last. Oh, I'm feeling it, and I'm so excited. What about the times when it's hard and the opposition comes? Hype's not going to last in fulfilling the Great Commission. It never has. It never will. That indifference inevitably will set in. Welcome to the book of Zechariah. See, and, and the truth is, a deepening love for God and others, let's be honest, will never, ever, ever, never, never lead you and I to apathy, but it will lead us to fervency. That's it. A growing love for God. When a growing love for God has gotten cold, when that's become stagnant, welcome to apathy. Welcome to fervency. Welcome to apathy, complacency, indifference. Yeah. Maybe I'll serve today. I don't know. I'd rather do this. Make sure it's a priority. Nah, I'm going here. When that love for Christ starts to grow cold, welcome to indifference. A growing love for God will never lead you to that place. It will never lead you to indifference. It will always lead you to urgency. It will never, here it is. A growing love for Christ and other people will never lead you to greater complaining or grumbling that things aren't the way you want them. It will lead to greater gratitude as we will see today. Gratitude for what God has gifted you with, whether it looked like you wanted it to or not at the time. A growing love for God and others will never lead you to quit. It will always lead you to persevere in his power. How's your love for Christ? How's your love for your neighbors? Is it cold? Let's just be... Loved ones, I have been chiseled over on this message this week. Just, let's just be honest right now before the Lord. He sees our hearts anyway. We're not fooling him. Let's be honest. How is it? See, this is why, big idea, write this down. So crucial. The motive for mission must be love. We must love God above all and love others as ourselves. There's the big idea of Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. The motive for mission must be love. We must love God above all and love others as ourselves. And here in our text, we will see two truths that we must believe and increasingly live out in dependency on the Holy Spirit. If we are to live out this commandment and stay faithful to the mission Christ has entrusted us with. You ready to go? Let's open up our Bibles, loved ones. Here we go. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Let's read it nice and loud. Come on, kids. Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 40. Let's go. But when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we see it so clearly here. The motive for our mission must be love. And where does it all start? This truth right here. We must love God with all that we are. What does that mean? Total devotion. Total devotion. That's what Jesus is calling out on us right here. Total devotion devotion. See, Jesus wants all of you and I devoted to him. He created us for that purpose, that we would be all in devoted to him. Question, is he your greatest love? Is he your greatest love? Let's get our context. Here we are, and it's the final week of Jesus's ministry. And if you remember anything from our Gospel of John series, you will remember the final week of Jesus' ministry was a bit chaotic, right? And there's a lot of tensions mounting in Jerusalem. So here he is, he's teaching in Jerusalem. This is three days before his crucifixion, and he's teaching on the kingdom of God. And tension around Jerusalem is mounting. And groups of religious leaders are trying to discredit and trap Jesus to bring him to trial and ultimately to kill him. So look at the strategy, 34 to 36. Go back to the text. But when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? See, there's two religious groups that we are introduced to here in these three verses. Number one are the Pharisees. Now, I just can't get past this. The the Greek word for Pharisee there, it is pharisaios, and and it actually means separatist. A separatist or a purist. It means one who is separate from sin. Do we have any purists in the room? Any separatists here? Okay, great. Maybe I was thankful I was going out on a limb there. <laughs> no, no separatists in the room? Good, good. All right? And so they, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were known as the keepers of the law. And at this time in Jesus' ministry, there's about 6,000 of them. And they have, as you can tell by that number, great influence with the common people. Now here is the Pharisees. They love the glory of man. Pharisees love the glory of man. Does anyone here love the glory of man? It's a struggle, isn't it? Watch this. They sought the praise of people by observing external rituals like fasting so that everyone could see. Prayers offered in the middle of the street, just just standing there so everyone would walk by. Doing good works that they thought would get them to heaven. And they prided themselves on these works to uphold the Old Testament law. But here's the thing. They didn't just stop at the Old Testament law. They added legalistic, man-made rules and stipulations on top of Scripture and taught that the Jewish people were to abide by them. And they put them on the same authority as God's word. All right? They put them on the same authority as God's word. So if they're like, okay, God commanded a Sabbath, so we better give some clarity to this and say you can't walk more than five steps on the Sabbath. Because they don't want to get to that point, even close, of breaking the command. So we're going to set up all these rules beforehand to make sure we're not getting to that point. 
All right? And so, but then they equated these things with the authority of Scripture itself. All right? Heaping burdens on people. Even to this day, as many of you know, I used to live in Israel, and, and on the Sabbath, they have special elevators, even to this day, in Jerusalem, where they stop at every floor the whole day because they consider pushing the button work. So there's special Sabbath elevators that go to every floor. It's still there. It's entrenched. Now the second group of people, second group of religious leaders, did you catch it here in the text? In verse 34, we've got the Pharisees and we've got the, say it, Sadducees. We've got the Sadducees. It's pretty sad, you see. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I just couldn't resist. You were like, I've totally heard that one. I just couldn't resist. It's pretty sad, you see. Oh, anyway, yeah, it's like little Dr. Seuss there. All right, all right. And who were the Sadducees? They were wealthy members of the highest class of society. And they had political power. They were in with the Roman government. Okay, these were like pièces de résistance. Okay, of the public square, all right? Wealthy, they had power, they were in with the Roman government, but this created a problem because they were in cahoots with the Roman government. The Pharisees hated the Roman government, which means the Pharisees and Sadducees were butting heads all the time. They did not like each other and were constantly working to discredit each other. But they were united in one thing, their hatred toward Jesus. Their hatred toward Jesus. So when the Pharisees, do you see the text? When the Pharisees heard, 34, that he had silenced the Sadducees, he was just in a debate with the Sadducees about marriage in heaven. Verses 23 to 33. You go check that out if, you, if you're wondering, will I still be married to my spouse in heaven? Just check that and you'll see it and it'll clear up the issue. And so here's the thing. They're in a debate with Jesus but will they be married? Jesus shuts that down, and now the Pharisees are like, it's our time. The Sadducees look really bad. People are like, eh, whatever. Now we're gonna step in and trap him. So they huddled together to take a crack at trapping Jesus. Did you notice their strategy in verse 35? Go back to the text. Who do they send? A lawyer. I feel so bad for this guy. Every time I read the text, this poor guy, what do they do? They send him to test. Test. The word test there isn't like, hey, I want to find something out. It was, it's got malicious intent. See, a lawyer was an expert of the Old Testament law in its explanation and application. They knew every jot, every tittle. They knew where to, to get people to stumble all of this and discredit those who would speak against it. And so here he is. And he's going to test Christ about the Old Testament law. Now, what's the Old Testament law? We want to make sure we're clear here. This is the law that God gave to Moses in the wilderness on Mount Sinai and other places of how God's people were to live in relationship with him and one another. It's the Old Testament law. And it included ten, the Ten Commandments. Here's the other thing. It also included 613 other commandments. 613 and if you're wondering, where can I find those? First five books of the Bible. In the Pentateuch, it's called. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's got all of them. Okay? 613. And so look at what the lawyer does here. There's our context. That's why context is key. You get to 36, and he says, Which out of all these commands, teacher, 
is the greatest. What's the great commandment? What he's saying there is, what's the one of central importance? What is the command out of the 613 that exceeds all others? And the Pharisees, can you just picture them? These were experts and keepers of the law, right? They had their fingers up ready, just saying, I do that. I do that. I do that. I do that. And what is it? Jesus flips it on his head. Look what he says, 37 to 38. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. See, Jesus answers there that of all the commands, the greatest is not some external act or ritual you could ever do. What Jesus throws right there, he says, the greatest command, I'm commanding your affection, not your performance. Jesus wants our affection before any performance. This is what the Pharisees aren't getting, and sadly what so often you and I don't get. He wants our affection. How does that impact your wanting to abide with him in his word every day and in prayer? Knowing Jesus, Jesus wants our affection over our performance for him. He commands us to live. He, he calls us to live a holy life increasingly, absolutely, in his power. But that's all outflowing from a heart that loves him. Out of all the commands, greatest is not some external ritual, but it is to love the Lord your God with all our heart, soul, mind. And Mark 12, verse 30 adds strength. The sum of that just means every part of us, complete being. Every part, complete being. All we are and all we have, total devotion. And you may say here, maybe you've heard this word. Certainly you have if you've been in this church for any length of time. You've heard this, and you're like, sure, I get it. I love God. I love God. It's good. I get it. He's first. Well, just hold on. Let's put the brakes on, and we're going to read it slowly again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I would encourage you in this moment just to pray right now, Lord, Holy Spirit, search my heart. No defensiveness right now. Let's break this down, what Jesus is saying here. Every thought you and I have, every thought, every feeling you and I get. Have any feelings this week? Okay. Every desire that you and I have. And everything you do or say in every second of your life and mine is to be an expression of our love for God. Everything upon which your heart and your mind is captivated by is to be an expression of your love for God. And that you will love nothing or no one else more than him. He is your first love in all things. 
just going to let that hang there for a second. I'm going to ask the question. Look at the past week, loved ones. Not through the lens of, I'm so good. Just be real. Look at the past week. The thoughts you've thought. The conversations you've had. The tones you've used in those conversations. The actions you have done. Hear the word of the Lord of the great commandment and just ask yourself right now, how's it going? Fulfilling that. Let's just get real. Is there anyone else in this room besides me right now that realizes they desperately need a savior because we have no chance of doing this. Anyone else? Mm-hmm. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And you may say this. Practically, what does this look like? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and as Mark says, strength. What does this look like? I mean, if Jesus says it's the greatest command and the one that is central to him being exalted and preeminent in all things and is central to us staying faithful on mission, then we need to be clear on this, right, loved ones? What does this practically look like? A life that is totally devoted to the Lord. Here we go. Go back to verse 37. The word love there is this. I've put it on the screen because it's so important we write it down. Don't forget it. The word love there is agapao. Hey kids, say that with me. Some Greek lesson. Ready? Here we go. Agapao. All right, everybody else. Agapao. There it is. Agapao. Now, here's the thing. This is why you need to read the Bible in context. Because agapao, when it's being used in the context of loving God, here's what it means means to take pleasure in God and prize him above all other things. We are not to prize people over the Lord. We are not to prize other things over the Lord. So agapao, when used of loving God, as Jesus is using it here, means to take pleasure in God and prize him above all other things. And how is this shown? Three things make this up. Ready? Number one, affectionate reverence for him. What does that mean? It means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I are growing in a fear of the Lord through a deepening love, honor, desire for, and hunger for him. Listen carefully. What this means is encompassed in that word, affectionate reverence. It means there's an increasing longing for his presence. An increasing longing for holiness in your life increasing longing for his power and grace and purity in and through your life. Is that your longing? It means, let's break it down even more. I want it to be super helpful. I'm not approaching God with indifference or flippancy. Yes, he's our father. And yes, as the psalmist says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. But Jesus is not your homie. Jesus is your king. 
He is your savior. He is your Messiah. It means we grow in loving what he loves. If we're growing in an affectionate reverence for him, it means we're growing in loving what he loves and valuing what he values in our homes. If Jesus were to walk in your home, and by the way, the Holy Spirit's there already. You can't go anywhere from him. But if you look on your entertainment shelves, if you look in the music you're listening to on your playlist, if you look at the conversations that were had in the home the past week, would that, would that show and point people to, a, to a, an affectionate reverence for the Lord that they would see that when they walk in? Regardless of how many signs and paintings of Bible verses we have, are our lives reflecting that? in our speech, in our entertainment choices, in the workplace, loving what he loves with integrity. And in you know, I, I said to someone this week, I was talking with a guy and, and uh, was visiting him at the workplace and um, he was the manager of the place. And um, he said, so I'm gonna do this for you because if I don't do this then you're just gonna ask for more. I said, why would I do that? And he says, well, because that's what everybody does. I said, I serve someone greater than that. We're going to walk with integrity. So just give us what we need to have. We're not going to push you for more stuff. And he looked at me like I was, he was like, that's rare. And it just made me really sad. But when you grow in loving what Jesus loves, you love integrity. You love purity. You love honesty. You love loving other people increasingly. And I got a long way to go with that. The Lord help us. All right, here it is. You, you love purity over your sin. Here's what else it means, affectionate reverence. Jesus, ready, ready for this? Jesus is increasingly beautiful to you and not just useful to you. Just look at your prayer life right now. There's no condemnation. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, listen, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But let's look. Let's evaluate right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we approaching Jesus more out of pleasure or business? Just say, Lord, I just want to be with you. I'm going to take that prayer walk. I'm not going to give you my list of stuff. You know. You know it before I even ask. But I want you more than that. And you're going to take care of that. And as you lead, we'll, we'll ask in line with your word, in Jesus' name, for his glory. But I just want to be with you, Father. I just want to. You know, we were at this past week, the funeral for my, my wife's father. And as I'm sitting there and just thinking, like, I just long for the presence of my heavenly father so much. That her father is now experiencing, I got to confess, I'm a little bit jealous but I want that increasingly now. Do you? Or is Jesus just a business transaction to you? Lord, I need this, this, bless this, do this, do this. Is there an increasing affectionate reverence? Say, I'm taking time away just to be with you, my father, to his child. You speak, I listen. 
So what or who does your life show you're growing an affectionate reverence for? Ask people if you're not sure. What would they say? They say, what could you tell from my life that I love the most? Just ask them. Ask a trusted friend who loves you. Is it yourself? Is it your status? Your sin? The world? Or the Lord? And what he says to value, honor, and uphold. See, because here's the truth we need to understand. Um, If you reverence the world, don't be surprised when you look like it very soon. If you're home, parents, if your home reverences the world, don't be surprised when your children look like it. Or you. Don't be surprised when the church looks like it. Divided, distracted, indifferent, apathetic, filled with conflict. There it is. Affectionate reverence. Here's what else he means. Ready? Overflowing from an affectionate reverence is a prompt obedience to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What does that mean? Prompt obedience to the word of God through his power in us, through the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit exposes our hearts, he brings conviction and shows the areas where we are walking in sin. Because here's the truth we need to understand. True obedience flows out of a response of love to God. That's true obedience. Out of a response of love saying, I want to follow you because I love you. It's not like, oh, I got this duty. I guess I better follow Jesus. No, no. It's like, I'm growing in a love for you and a reverence for you. I love you more than going my own way. I love you more than myself. I love you more than the ways of this world. And I want to follow you. Your ways are life. They are right. They are true. Pure and righteous altogether. The Phar- this is where the Pharisees had it wrong. The more we love, here's it's like a cycle, right? The more we love the Lord, the more we want to obey the Lord. And the more we obey the Lord, and we know the presence and blessing and power of the Lord, the more we love him. It's a cycle. More obedience, more love. More love, more obedience. This is why Jesus says in John 14, 23, you'll see it on the screen, he says, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commands. That's a promise. He will keep my commands. A growing love for God over sin. You're going to keep my word. Because I love you more. So question, where, where are you not walking in or where are you delaying your obedience to Christ? You know the Lord has called you something. You know he's commanded you, maybe even in this moment right now as the Holy Spirit's going to work. And you're like, I heard that. I know I'm not supposed to be grumbling. I know I'm not supposed to be gossiping. I know I'm not supposed to be listening. I know I'm not supposed to be looking at porn on the internet or cheating on my wife or diving into these things. I know I'm not supposed, but I'm just doing it. But I love Jesus. Listen, prompt obedience. Because delayed obedience, loved ones, is just disobedience. So where? This was very convicting for me today as well. Where are we just walking in delayed obedience? I'll get around to it later. It's like, deal with it now. That's what a growing love for the Lord does above all things. Lastly is this, here's what he means. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We've got affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and here, here's the overflow, constant gratitude. Ooh, big one. 
constant gratitude towards him. This means you and I live with a grateful recognition for the benefits received from the Lord in each situation, no matter what we are facing. See, gratitude is a powerful weapon against greed. It is a powerful weapon against despair and complaining and negativity and cynicism. Why? Because those things, the cynicism, the grumbling, the negativity, you know what they do? They always work to make you discontent with what God has provided to you. Discontent with a church. It's not going my way. It's not doing the things I want to do. Discontent with your spouse. Discontent with your kids. Discontent with your job. Discontent with the weather. Discontent with your food. Discontent with whatever it is. All of those things work to make you discontent with what God has provided and never lead you to a greater love for Jesus. Here's the truth right here on the screen, right down. A life lived in love for God is marked by increasing gratitude to God. Is your life marked by it? Is mine? and increasing gratitude to say, this is a really hard season, but I thank God that he provided what? I thank God that he will never leave me or forsake me. I thank God. Is gratitude on your lips or is grumbling? And increasing love for the Lord means increasing gratitude for the Lord. Knowing that all times and all things, he's only working out of his love for you. So question, how about you? How's your attitude of gratitude tonight? How's your attitude of gratitude? In your job, your family, your kids, your service in the church, so easy to be excited when we're feeling all, you got your, you know, 11 hours of sleep and nine of them were REM sleep and you're like, I'm ready for hope, kids! <laughs> How about when you get three hours and no REM sleep? How's the attitude of gratitude that... I actually have been entrusted with a ministry I don't deserve. It's one of the greatest privileges of my life that I get the Lord would allow me to set up a banner. Who am I? I don't deserve that. That I would get to shake a hand, that I get to park a car. Who am I? Right? Attitude of gratitude. And that fuels fervency, loved ones. So let's pray this right here. It all starts right here. Pray, Lord, help me to love you more. Help me to love you more than, just fill it in. What's that for you? Just write it down. Lord, help me to love you more than, and just fill in the blank. What is that struggle for you right now? Those areas. See, the motive for mission must be love, and we must love God with all we are. And from the overflow of this, final point today is this. Right from the text, we must love others as ourselves with a constant affection. Jesus calls you to love your neighbor. Will you love them as yourself? Look at verses 38 to 40. This is the great and first commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And the second, verse 39, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus then gives the second command that overflows from the first one. You can't switch the order and expect it to go well. You can't love people more than the Lord and expect to stay faithful on mission and expect to not compromise and work like that. You can't love people with something that you don't have. That's why the vertical has to be first. 
A growing love for God allows you to grow in your love for others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Greek time. Love, agapao. Now, the context in this one is not anymore love for God when it's directed toward God. Now it's person to person. What does it mean? Here's what agapao means when he's talking about person to person. It means actively choosing. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. To do what the Lord prefers in the life of another. What the Lord prefers into the life of another by his power and direction. See, here's why it's so important we understand that. Because you and I just don't naturally drift into a love for others. We just don't. What we do drift into is in love for self. We don't naturally drift into a growing love for God. We don't naturally drift into loving others and wanting their best good over our own. It's choosing, like Jesus, God's will in that moment. Saying what he would want said. Thinking what he would want thought. Looking at what he would want you to look at. Working how he would want you to work. And obeying it in his power by the Holy Spirit in word, thought, and action. Now who's the neighbor? Here's what he says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It means this. The Greek literally means anyone nearby. Nearby. It means any other person, irrespective of age, of gender, of race, or religion, with whom we live or have a chance to meet. That's pretty all-encompassing, hey, loved ones? It's pretty all-encompassing. It's your neighbor is any other person, regardless of their vaccine or mask status. Regardless of their political viewpoint, they're your neighbor. Love them. Turn to the person in the pew next to you and say, you're my neighbor. And now turn to the other side and say, you're my neighbor. (laughs) Now, hey, 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 loved ones, I love this church. Do the cross aisle and be like, yo, you're my neighbor. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Yes, Lord. So good. Anyone nearby? Now, I want you to notice verse 39. Jesus says, you shall. Circle the word shall. You know what that is? That is called an active imperative. The word imperative means command. That's an active, ongoing command, which means there's no exceptions to this. Notice, there's no stipulation in this text of uh, love your neighbor as yourself unless you're feeling sick. Then get harsh with them. Mm. Unless they don't do what you want to do when you wanted it done. No. Unless you're tired and hungry. Unless you um, think they don't deserve it, then you don't have to love them as yourself. See, there's no stipulation here in this beautiful text for our moods or actions and the moods and actions of the other. Well, I'd be nicer to my wife, but she's just unloaded on me. Really? 
That's not going to fly. That guy cut me off in traffic. I can't pound the wheel and get angry. No. What are you laughing at? (laughs) Busted. Hey, I'm feeling this too. Big time, big time, right? And so here's the thing, and you may say this, you may look at this text and be like, wow, this is sweet. Look what Jesus just commanded of me. This is amazing. He just commanded me to love myself more so I can love others more. Put your hand up if you think he called you to do that. Yeah. See, let's be clear on something. Jesus is not commanding us to love ourselves more so we can love others more. Jesus quite rightly assumes we're doing a great job of this already. We are usually our greatest love. And it means this, that we are to measure our love for others by what we would wish for ourselves in that moment. Measure your love for others by what you would wish for yourself in that moment. And we have a responsibility before the Lord in his power to seek the greatest and highest good of others, even if you and I don't feel like doing it or don't think they deserve it. Love is a spirit-empowered choice. So look today. Look around today, loved ones. Do you you think the world would notice if we lived like this in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you think the world would notice? A world that is filled with anger and conflict and confusion and rage and division and despair and unforgiveness and bitterness and selfishness do you think the world would notice if we live this way? See, here, this is a radical way of living Jesus calls us to here. Because, you know, one of the greatest, here's the truth, one of the greatest defenses of the truth of the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, is to love in our day. Why wouldn't you yell and scream at someone who looks different than you or believes something different than you or hurts you, why wouldn't you cancel them out? Why would you continue to serve them? Welcome to the defense of the gospel. Love. So much so that Jesus says in John 13, 35, he says, this is how the world will know you are mine if you have love. The world's fighting. The world's tearing itself apart. Jesus calls us to a radical way of living that displays his beauty and glory. Love. Loving our enemies. Why not get angry and just bail? And no, 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 look. A love that says, ready? I'm not out for my greatest good but yours. I'm not out for my greatest good in this situation but yours. So I will sacrifice my time, talents, and treasures for the glory of Jesus Christ to love you well right now. I, I'm not seeking attention for myself, but, but I'm going to give the attention that I would like to you. And I'm going to use my words, even though I would like that. I'm going to use my words, Ephesians 4.29, to build you up and give grace and encourage you. Even though I would like to be encouraged. It's saying, you've hurt me, but by the Holy Spirit's power in me, I'm choosing to respond in love and not hatred and not anger. To forgive you 
and not hold a grudge and truly forgive, not just say, I forgive you and then hold on to that and get bitter. But I'm not going to hold a grudge against you and I'm not going to keep score years later, be like, remember when? I'm not going to do that. It says, my measure of love towards you is not based on what you've done to me or for me, but based on what Christ Jesus has done for me. There it is. There's the standard, the life of love. And I love 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. It breaks it right down, gets really practical. It says, what does this love look like? Neighbor is self. Love is patient. By the way, this is often read as um, in marriage ceremonies. Maybe some of you had this, marriage passion. It's actually not directed towards marriages, but certainly can be included. It's written to the body of Christ. And it says, love is patient. There's love being patient. How's your patience going? Love is kind. Kind in how you speak about people. Kind in how you care for people. Love does not envy. It celebrates, it joyfully, eagerly celebrates God's work in the life of another. You know, I just love this, seeing us at prayer night. Hey, come to prayer night, October 19th, loved ones. We were here on Wednesday, and it was phenomenal. This place was about half full, all the way to the back. It was just incredible. But you know what? We had different guys come up here and handle God's word, and there was no competition. They were just cheering for each other. They're like, this is God's work in your life. It's not like, well, I want to do that. It's like, this is God's work. We celebrate that. We encourage you with that. We're not envious of that. We're not competing. Why do you have that and I don't and all this? There's just a spirit of cooperation and celebration. It doesn't boast. Love is not arrogant. It's not like, well, I want to be noticed, so look at me. It's the opposite. It's the back seat. It's not rude. Rude in our joking. Rude in sarcasm. It's not rude. It speaks the truth in love and builds others up and gives grace to those who hear. It does not insist on its own way. And man, coming out of COVID, we saw this, eh? Where preferences, personal preferences just trump Christ's priorities so much. It's like, I want it my way. I want this. We don't have this, I'm out of here. I'm doing it. Love does not insist on its own way. Do it my way or else. What's that? Selfishness. It is not irritable. Here, here's a question in addressing this one. Do people feel, just ask, ask people around you, do people feel like they have to walk on pins and needles around you? Because of a spirit of irritability that's festering? Are you approachable? Do you handle def- correction with grace and love and humility or irritability? How about this? Uh, love is not resentful. Are you holding on to hurts that you need to cast onto Christ? You know, can I give you just a freeing piece of truth from God's word? Um, maybe if you're like me, sometimes in your past you've had people that hurt you big time. And you've been holding on to that hurt and resentment for a long time. And then blaming them for how you're acting out from that. Um, But I want to encourage you, loved ones, your past and what's happened to you, it is significant. We need to take it before the Lord. 
but your past and what's happened to you is not causal. You and I wake up every day with the choice to do what's right, regardless of what's happened. And there's things that we may need to deal with before the Lord, and I encourage you this week to do so, but if you're like me, maybe some of you need to stop blaming others for what's happened in your past and get low before the Lord and say, Lord, I let that go. Forgive me. Forgive me for holding on to that. The hurt is real. The pain is real. But I'm casting it on you because I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you will give me all I need for life and God. No more blaming the past and people in it for your responses. That's love. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't make light of sin or celebrate it. It rejoices with the truth. You see your children walking in the truth. You see the church walking in the truth and in obedience. They're like, yes! You're not celebrating sin in your home or in your lives. Here's one, big one. Keep reading. Verse seven, love bears all things. Did you guys see that? Look up at the text. Love bears all things. You know what that means? There's no cancel culture to be in the church. And there's no cancel culture in the life of a Christian. We are called to love and bear together and work together and serve together and work through things together by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't bail out. We bear all things. There's no cancel culture with God's people. It believes all things. That means it believes the best about people. This is why gossip is so destructive because you and I like to think we're strong enough to handle it. No, we're not. Proverbs says it's like juicy morsels going down, but then it bites. It believes the best about people. When you listen to gossip or speak it, the reason it's sinful is because it's not loving. And we're not loving people if we let it continue. Love believes the best because whether or not you and I realize it, we're not strong enough to then not use that as a filter next time we see that person who is being gossiped about. Are you believing the best about others? Are you saying, you know what? You need to stop that. I'm not going to listen to that. You need to repent. And if there's an issue, go and talk to that person. It's not loving to just let it go on. We need to repent. It's not loving for your soul or theirs. It hopes all things. That means it hopes for the best. You know, it hopes for the best for them and endures all things. See, Jesus calls you to love your neighbor. Will you love them as yourself? What does that look like right there? Will you love them as yourself? You notice verse 40? Go to 40 again as we close. On these two commandments depend, circle the word depend, all the law and the prophets. The Greek word for depend there means hangs upon. Everything else, every other command hangs on these two. You get these right, it's really hard to get all the others wrong. And if we are to stay faithful on mission and see Jesus glorified and his kingdom advance, it has to come from these two commandments increasingly being fulfilled. And if you're like me when I was in message prep this week, you might be saying this. You might be saying this. I can't do this. Is this hard? Can anyone agree? Is this pretty hard? Yeah, this is hard. 
right? And you're like, I can't do this. Can I just encourage you with this? The beautiful truth of the gospel, you'll see it on the screen. God will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. And I want to encourage us, church, God has not left us on our own. He saw us in our sin, and in the greatest act of love of all time, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, paying the penalty for our sin that separates us from him and ultimately will lead us to hell, apart from repentance and faith in him. And Jesus died and rose again and made his power through the Holy Spirit available to all who have repented of their sin and confessed him as their Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ did the impossible and perfectly fulfilled these commands to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as himself. This is why he says in Matthew five seventeen, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of prophets. No, no, no. Old Testament, still very relevant. I didn't come to abolish that. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. And in Christ, be encouraged, church. It's not about your perfection or my perfection, but it is about our affection. It's not about our perfection. It's about our affection and perseverance in his power through dependence on the Holy Spirit. He will fulfill his mission through love. The question is, Will you trust him and surrender to him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, um, I confess, I, just, I stand here just humbled before you at uh, the amount of work that is still needed in me to live this life of love that you call me to live. But I thank you so much that I don't stand here under condemnation because of the blood of Jesus salvation in him that has cleansed me and justified me and has given me a right relationship with you so I don't stand here condemned I stand here as your son saying Lord I need you and I pray this room right now would just be filled with that same testimony right now. And for those specifically who have never confessed you as their Lord and Savior, they can't know this love without you. They can't give this love without you. And so I pray right now, just in their pews, they should say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I, need, I see I don't measure up. I can't ever be good enough on my own strength. So I turn from my sin. I'm done doing my own way. I repent and confess you. Confess you as my Lord, the only Lord, the only Savior of my life, Jesus Christ. Please forgive me of my sin and thank you for the eternal life we can have in you. And so Lord, as we go into this last song, I pray that we would truly mean this title of this song, You Are All to Us. That the saving love of Christ that gave his life for his enemies, that laid it all down, time, talent, treasure, everything on the table, the saving love of Christ would be the measure of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, will you stand and respond with us, please? Thanks. Thanks.